0: A special thank you to the Ziggin family for sponsoring this evening's shir. Uh This shir is sponsored in honor of Dr. Ziggin's father, Dr. Charles Ziggin, B'Tsalil ben Moshe Halevi. His yard site was the seventh of Adar. His neshama should have an aliyah. If you could think of one Hebrew word that comes to mind when we envision the holiday of Purim, what Hebrew word jumps in first? Simcha, okay, Simcha's Purim. Anything else? Shikur. that works. Would anyone have guessed Kedusha? Okay, Joe Persky, Baruch Hashem. Generally though, for your average Joe, <laughs> I don't think Kedusha comes to mind holiness or sanctity when we think in terms of Purim. We know it's a very special day, it's a joyous day, but we don't often associate Kedusha with the, uh, the observance of Purim. We're well aware, though, of the quote, B'Shem the Arizal, that in the Bechina, and in, in a certain aspect, Purim is even on a higher level than Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is a day like Purim, meaning it's not quite that same intensity of Kedusha, but it's, it's similar. It's, uh, there's something about Yom Kippur that reminds us of Purim, but Purim is like the pinnacle. I'd like to explore what exactly that means. What is the understanding of the Arizal that Purim has even more Kedusha on some level than Yom Kippur? And I'd also like to get into the famous Gemara that explains the the reason for Kalal Yisrael being in this predicament. What led them to almost the the brink of genocide is because they were nena, they benefited from the massive suda of Achashverosh. This uh, festive meal, the party that Achashverosh put on, they were nena from that suda, and because they were participating in that meal, in that party, they were chayiv Kliya, they were worthy of total destruction. If not for the intervention of Mordechai and Esther and the, uh, the Nisim that we experienced. But taking it face value, that definitely needs explanation. Maybe it was not the right thing to join with the party and to be part of the, uh, the secular society to be drinking and eating in a gluttonous way. But why does that make you Chayiv Misa? Therefore, we're deserving of death? It's a lack of Kedoshim to you. We might not be on the highest moral or, uh, or ethical level, but why is it so severe? Why was it taken so seriously? Shlomo Volva, when he gives us a little bit of an introduction into Purim, he writes that the joy that we have the opportunity of experiencing on this holy Chag is awesome, of panimis, but it's not external joy, it's actually internal, it's panimis. And therefore it requires preparation, mental focus... Not to take something that's intended for simcha panimis, internal, very uh, meaningful joy, and to transform that into something more base, which is holilis viletsondus, mockery, just uh, enjoying ourselves superficially or animalistically but missing out on the boat, missing out on the simcha panimis. We have to be very careful. So maya simcha, maya chachanasa. What is this joy of Purim and what is our preparation as we lead up to this Chag HaKodesh HaZeh? So first Revolva tells us that if we try to think back to what that reality was living in the Persian Empire, every gollus has its own flavor, every exile, has its own unique challenge. He writes that the malchus of Parasumadai, living in Persia, was a malchus shel Ribuihana. That was an experience of indulgence. There was so much gashmias, there was so much pleasure and physicality to get lost in, to be attracted by. kasher osa Suda gedola, that's why when Ahasuerus threw this massive party, Mordechai made it very clear to all of the Jews, don't go and don't get benefit from that meal. Even though everything was glad kosher and the wine was, was very kosher, and there was no problem of doing anything that was technically wrong, nonetheless explains Revolba, Milsa, But the, the idea that Mordechai had, being the, the manhig, the leader of Klaal Yisrael, is that we need to create Gedarim, we have to have a barrier between ourselves and the secular society, or in this case, the, the Persian culture. And for sure, living in this very depraved society, where it was all of the focus of Gashmius, of Indulgence, of Taiva, the call of the hour was to stay far away from any, any type of behavior that would bring us into that energy. However, unfortunately, we did not heed the warning of Mordechai. We did partake, we benefited from the Sudhavach shverosh, And that was the beginning of the Gezeir of the Decree of Purim. And that's when the entire jeopardy, the entire legacy of Kalal Yisrael was in jeopardy. Now it's interesting, the line that Revolva says, especially in that culture, where there was so much of an obsession and attraction to the physical, we needed more of a harchaka, we needed more of a barrier between ourselves and the rest of the world. This is something that, as time goes on, if it was true in the Persian Empire, more than 2,000 years ago, it is definitely more and more true every day of our lives. In a sense, it's almost counterintuitive. Right? Because we might be thinking to ourselves on some level, listen, if, if everyone is allowing this in their home, or if this is pretty much accepted as the norm, we're all allowing ourselves this level of connection to the outside world, or this level of being influenced by other forces, other ideologies, so then you have to kind of, have to ride with it. This is, this is where we are. Have to be normal. If anything, we'll see, the answer of the Torah Hashkafa can be the exact opposite. We thrive on being counter-culture. And if the culture is becoming more and more intensely focused on the Olam HaGashmi, on the physical world, on a reality that's totally void of spirituality and God, so that means we have to be more careful and have more harchakas, more barriers between us and what's going on outside of us. Ramosha Feinstein writes this regarding the issue of having a co-ed school. He writes that you find even in public schools, right, boys and girls together, even younger grades, what's going on even amongst little kids, is something that we would have never imagined a few decades prior. He's writing this probably in the 1970s. He says, That which used to be viewed as private or sacred, something that was not for public discussion, Now it's hefker, now it's ownerless. It's out there for everyone to see and and to be used to exploit the animalistic nature within us. We don't have any busha. We're not embarrassed of anything anymore. Even public schools where you have small children. They're raised, the TV shows. the the music, whatever they're exposed to, it's all with this flavor of Hefkerus, of there are no boundaries, there are no restrictions, whatever you feel like is the right thing. Facts don't matter. And everyone is aware on some level, even the non-Jewish world, that this level, this kind of education that kids are exposed to is detrimental. You ask any parent anywhere in America, likely in the world, do you think it's a great idea for kids to be connected to a device for hours a day? So everyone will say, no, it's terrible. There's so much research out there and there's studies about what it does to you, short term, long term. But life is difficult. So ultimately, what do you do with the kids when they're a little bit wild? You stick them in front of the device for hours a day. Now, COVID is a different story. We cannot judge ourselves based on COVID. But the idea that we see both from Revolva and from Remosha is almost counterintuitive, but the more the world goes in one direction, our obligation, our responsibility is to actually go in the opposite direction, not to allow ourselves to be dragged along. Now, it's interesting, the Vilna Gon, when he speaks about the institution of the holiday of Purim, he writes that because of the Tzorah, because our, our uh, source of concern was machma Shenendu misudas achashverosh, the shosu Yai, and it was based on the fact that we indulged in that feast of achashverosh, therefore... When Chazal created the yontif, when they were thinking how should we establish the mitzvah of Purim, they wanted to, to create the mitzvah in a similar way that brought about the Gezerah in the first place, namely that since ha'evil since we got ourselves into this mess because we were involved with the parting. Therefore, when we celebrate the salvation and the miracles of Purim, we should celebrate in the same way, through achiva v'shtiyah, through drinking and eating and having a good time. Now, that's a strange thing to say, because if eating and drinking got us into this mess, I think we all would have assumed that perhaps the best way to celebrate Purim would be through fasting through basically making it into a Yom Kippur. Let's do the exact opposite of what we did wrong. We were indulging in Gashmias. We were swept away into the physical world of Taiva. Now when we celebrate, we want to rectify that by staying as far away from that world as possible. So I want to analyze the gra as well. Why did Chazal see it appropriate to establish the holiday of Purim to do the exact same things we did that got us into this mess in the first place. So three overall questions. The first is, how do we understand the Arizal that Purim is actually in a higher level than Yom Kippur? The second question is, what was so bad about benefiting from this party? It wasn't the right thing to do. We weren't uh, acting in a holy way, but why were we deserving of such a severe punishment? And the third question is, analyzing this comment of the Vilnagon. why would we celebrate in the exact same way that brought about this Gezer in the first place? So I want to jump into the conversation of how we relate to Taiva. Right? There are so many desires in the world around us on many levels, intellectually, physically, emotionally. There are so many things that we want. And when we feel ourselves getting pulled in different directions, generally there are two ways of addressing it. One is I, I find myself um, watching way too much TV. A person has an addiction with uh, Netflix. Movie after movie, they can't stop themselves. And research has shown when there's no friction, habits form very quickly. And it just kind of leads to the next one and to the next one. And I've spoken to people who, unfortunately, they'll spend hours and hours of their night basically ruining their next day and their productivity and their ability to function because it just becomes so ingrained. This is what I do in the evening. So one way is, I'm gonna take my device, I'm going to take my hammer, which I barely use for anything constructive anyway, but I happen to have one in the closet, and I'm going to smash the thing to smithereens. And therefore I have no exposure anymore. It might be very difficult, but that's stopping cold turkey. Marisha Shiva told us that in 1964, when they came out with the, the official warning that smoking was detrimental to one's health, and he was a pretty heavy smoker for years up until that point, he said that he stopped cold turkey as soon as he heard the, the warning of the Surgeon General, and he related that for a week and a half afterwards he was climbing the walls. It was the greatest torture imaginable. But that's one way of dealing with, with addiction. With uh, Noah, the Torah tells us he didn't get married till he was 500 years old. Could you imagine his mother bugging him? <laughs> Honey, you know, maybe it's time to find a nice girl. You're already 493. You know, maybe you want to get out of the house and do something with your life. So why'd he wait so long in contrast to other people in his same time period? Explains the Rel Bag, because Noah understood the environment in which he was living. It was, a vi- it was an environment of total moral decay. And he felt that in order not to get swept away with everyone else's type of behavior or have lack of any uh, self-control, he wanted to go the opposite extreme. And therefore, he remained tohor Vakodosh, he remained pure and holy until eventually it was the right time when he was 500 years old to get married. But the way the Ralbag says this is very fascinating. He says, She'an she'dor noach hayukulam the entire generation of Noach, they were all living this very immoral lifestyle, To the point where it was so entrenched and ingrained in the culture, if you weren't participating in that, you were viewed as as strange. Vahu, but himself, being a very righteous person, he was able to cure himself of of this quality through separating himself and going to the opposite extreme. I heard from my good friend Rebbe Yitzchak Hecht. He shared with me a beautiful insight into this Ralbag. The one word "nirpa," who nirpa means that Noah was healed by going the opposite direction. The clear implication is that he was also sick. Because like Moshe Feinstein told us, when we're living in a world that has no moral compass, we are impacted by that. And therefore, one way at least of dealing with our surroundings and addiction and taiva and the pull of of physicality is by totally separating ourselves, going in the opposite direction. Now, the other way of dealing with it, which when it comes to weaning somebody off of an addiction, is... If theoretically I've been sober and I've been staying away from whatever my issue was for a long time. So some forms of addiction, the goal is never to go back there. And if I had a drinking problem theoretically for the rest of my life, I could avoid any alcohol. That's doable. But if my addiction is with food, so to take approach number one and say, never eat again, that's also doable for about seven days, right? And then you'll die. So obviously with that kind of addiction, it has to be, I'm retraining myself. I'm I'm creating a paradigm shift with my relationship with food. How much do I need it? How much do I crave it? How, How dependent is my emotional status on food? So it's basically redeveloping that connection and trying to have a healthier association with that particular taiva. We find both of these ideas in the Ramchal and the Masil Shisharem, and I want to just address them briefly. The Ramchal writes regarding prishus. This is the, the level of trying to refrain as much as possible from worldly pleasures. He says, we find a contradiction on one hand The Yerushalmi tells us that I will be held accountable when I stand before God to explain why I didn't partake of all of this delicious food. If there are pleasures in the world and I didn't want it, interesting language, if I didn't want it, that's actually a problem. Hashem will be asking me why didn't you get pleasure? That's what it's here for. It's not here just to tempt you, just to be, you know, your your demons of, of struggle. It's here for you to enjoy. That's the Torah perspective of this world. It is here, the pleasures of Gashmias are here to enjoy. And therefore, this is definitely mashma, right? The connotation is, we are obligated, we're responsible to enjoy the world. Yet the Ramchal goes on to quote many other sources that seem to say the exact opposite idea. One famous Gemara, the Gemara Ksuba, speaks about Rabbi Huda Hanasi, the great editor of the Mishnah. Right before his death, he held up all ten fingers and he said, Galui Vedu it is known before you, Hashem, Shalonenesi min haolam hazeh filu ba'etzba Shali. I did not derive any benefit. From this world, even the amount of my small finger. He was extremely wealthy. He had everything. What is interesting, parenthetically, when the Gemara describes having everything, it speaks about having fruits and vegetables even out of season. And that's the example of like the wealthiest person in the world. That just gives us a little bit of an appreciation for being able to buy strawberries all year. So how do you reconcile this contradiction? Are we supposed to partake of this world and enjoy it? Or is it praiseworthy to stay as far away as possible from the, the desires of Olam Hazet? So explains the Ramchal, there's a good form of separation and there's a bad form of separation. One is healthy, one is productive, and one is very uh, detrimental. The good form of precious is I'm not causing myself harm or pain, I take from the world that which I need. And that's a very subjective definition because we all need different things based on personality, based on upbringing, based on where we live, based on what our friends have. These are all real factors. But I take that which I need, but I'm not indulging. That's a good form of separation. Precious hara, Unhealthy separation is where I'm causing myself physical or even emotional pain from the fact that I'm refraining too much. It's causing Mitzar. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling a sense of anguish and, and, and almost neglect that I'm not giving myself that which I need. That is unhealthy and that is not okay. So how do we find this balance? Right? How do I take that which I need, but I don't overindulge? So explains the Ramchal. He says, we have to have the following meditation. <laughs> when I'm tempted with whatever, whatever my vice is, I could tell myself, it's not real. The, the pleasure, the attraction, the in my imagination that, that's causing me to want this so badly, I have to remind myself, it's not what I think it is. It has no lasting power to it. What does that mean, it has no lasting power? It seems like the Ramchal is saying that within this realm of our imagination... The Koach Adim yon. The reason why something is so tempting is not the pleasure itself. It's not the cigarette itself. It's not the chocolate cake by itself. It's, it's everything that's built up around it where there's almost this feeling that it does have a Hasmada Nechona. There's something real and, and meaningful and lasting that it does for me. And that's why I need it so badly. I remember... A comment from Rabbi Dr. Torsky, Zecher Tzadik, the Kodosh Rocha. He was trying to explain to someone outside of the world of addiction, trying to get into to someone's head who's really struggling. He said, I myself only understood when I had an asthma attack. I remember not being able to breathe, and looking for my little device. And afterwards, when finally he was able to take the steroids that he needed, he thought if theoretically someone were to tell him, as he's groping for air, you know what? It's, it's not good for you. It's better, it's hard for you to understand right now, but it's better for you not to be able to take that breath. Trust me. Even if intellectually he said you could prove it to me, when I need oxygen, I don't care what you tell me. Don't you realize you're jeopardizing your marriage and your family's going to fall apart? I need oxygen! It becomes so natural and visceral. So says the Ramchal, we have to somehow create that reality within our heads. This is not what I think it is. It's not oxygen. I can live without it. Vaharabo and the potential harm that comes from this sense of indulgence or addiction can cause so much negativity in my life. I'm not going to be the person I need to be. So that's how we get to that balance of good, healthy separation. I'm not overdoing it. And therefore, I'm not becoming mugushim. I'm not becoming overly physical. I can still thrive in my spirituality. But I I take that which I need. That's an example of creating boundaries. The other way of of facing these challenges, we said, is actually, I will eat again. I need to eat. But I'm doing so with a different mindset, and therefore it's healthier. And I'm not going to get into the same very bad negative habit I was in until now. And this, the Ramchal speaks about the, the very last chapter, Shisharim, where he speaks about Kedusha. What does it mean to live a life of sanctity? So Kedusha is when I no longer have to avoid the physical. The previous level of precious of separation is, I need to stay away from all of that as much as I can without hurting myself. And the little that I take, I'm taking because I have to. Says the Ramchal, when you reach chapter 26 of the Mesil Hisharim, and you have, you have mastered so many other aspects of Avodas Hashem and coming closer to the baruchu the final realm is Kedusha, which means that which I'm taking from this world is not because I have to but it's based on a desire to uplift myself and bring me to higher levels of avodas Hashem. He says famously, a person who's a Kodosh, when he eats, it's like he's bringing a carbon, it's like he's bringing an offering to Hashem. He himself becomes the Mizbeach, he is the altar, he is the Mishkan. I'm utilizing this world, but I'm, I'm transcending it. I'm bringing it up, I'm transforming it to something that's spiritual. What does that mean, practically? It means my whole intention, when I participate, or I interact with anything in this world, it's all for that same machshav, it's that same goal. This will bring me closer to Hashem. Yitzchak wanted to eat steak before he gave the bracha to Yaakov. Why did he need a steak? Just give him the bracha. Because he was utilizing that meal, that sense of, of, of satiation to elevate him spiritually. So we have these two levels here. One is staying away as much as possible and one is delving in, but with a whole different mindset. One is, I'm a, I'm a purish or I'm tahor, I'm pure, I'm separated. And the other is, I'm a kadosh. What's Yom Kippur? Is Yom Kippur Tahara? Is it purity and separation? Or is it Kedusha? Yom Kippur is Tahara. Purity. That's what the Pesach says. The mitzvah of the day of Yom Kippur is anisim. We have to afflict ourselves. What does afflict yourself mean? So we know it doesn't mean hurt yourself. How do we know what it means? Because from a Jewish standpoint... The assumption is if the Torah says hurt yourself, that means don't eat. <laughs> that's, that's the assumption. Don't eat for a day. Right? That's our definition of affliction. But the call of the hour or the 25 hours is Tahara, purify yourself, separate yourself from everything physical. And that's why we know famously the Shulchan Aruch tells us we say Baruch Shem Kavod Machus we say it out loud. Only day of the year we say it out loud. Why? Because we're trying to emulate the Molachim. The Mogad Avram writes, we're trying to emulate the Molachim. We are angels on Yom Kippur. Do we say Baruch Shem Kavod Malchus Soli Olam in a loud way on Purim? We don't. We can barely say it sometimes, unfortunately. right? But hopefully a person sober. And when you're davening, we whisper. So explains Rev David Cohen, Shlita, he's the great Rosh Hashiv of Hevron. He suggests that Yom Kippur is Tahara, we're emulating Molachim, Purim is Kedusha. Purim is defined, it's not another word you could throw in to describe the celebration of Purim together with Simcha and Shikr and other things. The taich, the definition of Purim is kadusha, which means we're not supposed to refrain from the physical. We are engaging and interacting with it, but we're doing so in a way where we're raising ourselves up through the physical. I'm not just eating the steak because I have to to keep myself alive. I'm eating it as a carbon. This is, this is elevating me. We whisper Baruch Shem Kavod because on Purim we are not trying to be angels. We are trying to be something loftier than angels. Namely, a human being. An Odom. An Odom is the highest form of life in the universe. We know that the human being is higher than all of the celestial forces. That's what Purim is. I'm trying to be an Odom, I'm trying to be a human being, and I'm not shouting Baruch Shem because I'm not an angel. I'm loftier than an angel, I'm a mensch, I'm a gavro, I'm a human being. And that's why I'm interacting with the world. The way that the the pre-Tzaddik writes this, in Sodeq in source number 8, he says that, this is addressing our second question. What was so bad about participating in the of What was the big deal? We were lacking Kadoshim, we were indulging. Okay, we're, we're gluttonous. Says HaKohen, Rak misad shinenu misudoso daiko. The Gemara doesn't say that we ate from his party, rather, it says shinenu, we derived hanah. we got pleasure. Our whole connection with the food was, I'm doing it because I want it, because I'm 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 craving it. There's a dependency upon it. I was I was getting a pleasure from it. That's not a healthy association. That's a lack of both precious and kedusha. That's, that's not seeing that this is so fleeting. That's not realizing that there's no hasmada nechona. This is not lasting. This is not meaningful. But that's what we did. We were the misugasach ha So why is that so bad? He throws in one line here. And at first glance, it seems out of left field, where, where is he getting this from? But he says, Vizebo al yedei atzlus How did we get to be on this lowly level of being Achashverosh? It's because we weren't thriving. We weren't really engaged and, and passionate in our learning of Torah. Because a person who's anchored in Torah, means it's connected to my very core. I'm not going to feel that same level of, of emotional attachment to the Gashmias, to the physicality. So, Rav Salaka Cohen is telling us the problem wasn't the fact that we ate, it was how we were participating in that Suda. And, and, and it was indicative of the fact that we were lacking something so incredibly fundamental. We were lacking a real kesher, a real bond with Torah learning. Now, where does he get this from? Right? How do you assume that that was the problem? The Gemara never says that was the problem. The Gemara says because we were getting pleasure from the Suda. So I want to analyze that in a moment, but getting back to the first point, the Arizal told us that Purim is even a higher level than Yom Kippur. According to this understanding, it's self evident. Because Yom Kippur is Tahara and Precious, it's separation, right? We're like Malachim. Purim is we're trying to be Adam, we're trying to be a human being. A raising up the physical, elevating ourselves through the physical, not just separating from it. That's why the Vilmagon told us, our third question we raised. That's why he told us that because the way we got into this mess in the first place was through the eating and the drinking, that is the tikkun. That's the way we get ourselves out of that mess. That's how we rectify it every year. Through eating and drinking in a very different way. With a very different association. I'm doing it to raise myself up. That's the kadusha. See, Yom Kippur is not coming to atone for anything. Yom Kippur is we're trying to emulate Mulachim. Purim is we're trying to rectify, we're trying to be Mesakeim. What are we fixing? We're fixing a very unhealthy relationship with Gashmias. And the way we uplift it is through Kedusha, through raising up the Gashmias. Now, just to, to make it practical for a moment... I think we we often have the feeling on Purim, listen, at least for the men, right? We spoke about this in the ladies here, the the experience that one has in Purim is oftentimes based on gender. How much they look forward to it, (laughs) how much they relish in the day, or to the contrary, how much they just hope that it's going to be over with everybody okay. But, but, there is a feeling, of, listen, you know we, we, we drink, we have a good time, and, and then, like the, Kivan Shahutcher Hutcher, shuh, everything becomes permissible. I don't usually smoke, but on poor, I 'll smoke. <laughs> I'll try to be careful with my drinking It's, it's always brought up every year, you know in, in the yeshiva setting, obviously it's a big topic of conversation, young men who don't have much experience or or control of themselves, or they might not know how much it takes to get them to the right place and what's considered too much, what's very dangerous. It's not just, oh, we have to be careful. It is such an incredibly fine balance because if theoretically we blow it and, and we turn, like Revolba said, the Simcha panimus, this inner joy and radiance into Hololus of into mockery and, and something that's superficial or animalistic, not only is it not what Jews do, but it's destroying the very purpose of Purim. If I lose control over myself to the point where I'm not elevating my, my neshama through the eating and drinking and the simcha, then that means the entire mission, the entire Vodas is is being missed. We failed. We failed Purim. So with this understanding, with this perspective of what the call of the hour is, what the Avodas Hayom is, we have to be careful. We don't want to fail. We want to do it right. We want to uplift ourselves through it. I just want to end off by addressing this one point that Reb Tzadik HaKohen brought up, and we find it elsewhere as well. Reb Aaron Kudler writes this, that it seems like there's this assumption that the reason why we were Nena Mesudus Achashverosh is because we didn't have a strong connection to learning Torah. Where does that come from? So I wanted to suggest that if we take a look at the Gemara in Kedushan, the Gemara in Kedushan says that Torah is analogous to Samachayim, to the potion of life. And the example that the Gemara shares with us is that a father says to his son, you have a wound, take this retia, take this bandage, place it around it, and this way you're going to be safe. And you could eat whatever you want to, you could bathe in hot water and cold water, you could run and play soccer, everything is okay, don't be so nervous about hurting yourself as long as you have this bandage on. However, as soon as you take it off, then you have to be extremely careful. No problem. It's a nice interlude. I'm sorry. No, it's a simcha panimim. <laughs> as soon as you take off the bandage, though, then you have to be extremely careful. Don't run. Don't move your knee. You can't eat certain foods. Not quite sure how eating certain foods is detrimental to a, a wound, but. The the nimshol right the application of the gemara is kach Amra baruch hu this is exactly the message that Hashem, that Hashem gives to klal yisrael he says my children berasi yitzehara the famous line I've created the yitzehara I've created your, your evil inclination Ubarasi la tavlin but don't worry I've created the Torah to be its remedy Imatem oskin Torah. And if we live a life where it's not a habit, it's not a hobby, it's not something I do when it kind of works out, but I'm osek batorah, it's one of my priorities in living, that ain't atem sorim beyodo, you will not fall under the spell of the Yetzirah. It will have no power over you. So, Hashem created the Yetzirah, Hashem created the Torah to protect us from the Yetzirah. What does that have to do with the analogy that was given of the bandage on the wound? So explains the Marsha. The Marsha says, a person thinks that either this world is dangerous, it could be uh, attractive, it could lead me in different directions... Or it's not. The Gemara is teaching us that's not the way it works. Everything in this world, everything we encounter, everything we experience, every, every challenge we have, every vice that we're struggling with, it is all based on who I am as a person. And therefore, how much of this is really a struggle for me? How much of this will really bring me down or has the potential to be dangerous for me depends on who I am. So explains the Marsha, the Gemara is telling us, if we're osik betorah, if we're living a life that we're connected with Torah, so then enjoy yourself. Don't be so concerned about having the steak and doing this and, you know, having a good time in the physical world. Enjoy all the benefits that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave you. No problem. Because you have the retia, you have the Torah there that's guarding you. If you don't have the Torah, if you don't have that anchor, so then good luck. There's so much out there that will lead you to devastation. You can't do anything. You have to be totally poorish. You have to be separated from anything and everything because you're not the same person you could have been. You don't have that anchor, you don't have that foundation. And when the winds start to blow, then I question even the most basic aspects of my faith. I don't have the Torah. How does this work? So the Chazonish writes in the letter, it seems like it's more of a supernatural reality. But he says, Iker Sagula ha What Torah learning does for a human being is it uplifts the person and not just expands our, our understanding, our information, but it gives me more of a recognition of what am I doing in this world. This comes, this clarity of mind comes through being able to toil, to to really work in Torah. And the more I'm able to connect myself with passion, with fire to Torah, I'm cutting away all of the ropes of the Yetzir Hora that are holding me down. And the outcome of this explains the Chazanish. I have a disgust all the lowly pleasures. It doesn't mean that I won't enjoy a steak. It's delicious. And, and I love doing many things and I'll enjoy golfing and, and playing board games. But I don't have that need. I don't have that, de- that dependency. I don't have that addiction to this world. What do I want more than anything else? All I want, I want those feelings of Kedusha. I want the sanctity in my life. That brings me the deepest, most meaningful Onig. That brings me pleasure. So I think we see from the Gemara and Kedushan, and from the way the Chazanish describes this person who's living a life of being dedicated to Torah, is that, that it's impossible to come to the level of being I could eat a hesuda, but I'm, I'm, not, I'm not pulled into that world because I have the Torah to ground me this I think is one of the, the main main avodas of, of Purim one of the main missions that we have as we approach the day of Purim is to celebrate in this world, with family, and music, and singing, and food, and drink, making it laboric, making it energetic, creating that, that excitement, even though it's Friday, even though it's COVID, it's still Purim, and we're going to do it right in Mutashem? But to realize that I'm, I'm utilizing this world, not to, to consume it, but to elevate it, not because I need it, but because I'm uplifting myself through it. This is a moment of kedusha. Are we on the level that we could live a life of kedusha? The answer is not yet. Most of us in this room are probably not to perik chavav. We're not to the very end of the missiles Shisharim. But for 24 hours, we could tap into a feeling of kedusha through utilizing the physical through bringing it up, through bringing ourselves up, and through understanding that through our connection with Torah, we don't have to be afraid of this world, but we can embrace this world. Okay,